On the show today, Rich and I talk about the best Christmas movies to watch this holiday season, how to make the perfect old-fashioned, and why you should add bone marrow butter to your holiday feast. I'm your host, Brad Jackson, and you're listening to the November 29th, 2021 edition of Coffee and Koshan. So, Rich, it is that time of year where holiday movies are on just about every channel you turn on on your TV now. And that brings us to the question, what are the best Christmas movies to watch this holiday season? And I think we're going to start with one that you and I both agree is, in fact, a Christmas movie, and it's one of the best, and that's Die Hard. It is 100% a Christmas movie. I know that it was released as a summer blockbuster, but the format of the script, it's it's a Hallmark movie for dudes. You've got... <laughs> That's the perfect way to put it. I like that. <laughs> you, you've got the estranged husband. So instead of the, the advertising executive going back to her small town and rekindling her love, you've got John McClane going to reclaim his wife. And there's all these explosions and, and twists and turns and at Nakatomi Plaza. And he, he gets his woman back and it's set during the Christmas season. It's set during a Christmas party for Pete's sake. It's a Christmas movie. And and it, it, and you know what I really like about this? I love, if you look at this cast, this cast is ridiculous. And what's so funny is that they really took a chance on Bruce Willis for this role. Nobody thought he could do this. He had not been a dramatic actor. He had not really been a successful movie actor at that point when they made that movie. And they took a chance on him, and now we think, well, of course, he's Bruce Willis. He's like a blockbuster star. He's like a, a bankable um, hit every time he's on the screen. But at the time, this was a big risk for them, and boy, did it pay off. It paid off hugely, not just for the movie, but for, like you said, Bruce Willis's career. He People forget that you know his early success was with Moonlighting, the right. you know, comedy uh, private investigator show. And so to take this really goofy character as he was known at the time and just turn him into a complete badass was, like you said, a, a giant risk, but one that hugely paid off. Another one that I really enjoy that um, uh, is one of my more recent favorites is Elf. And if you look at a movie like Elf, it's a John Favreau film. John Favreau, of course, has, has uh, really made a name for himself uh, lately on uh, the show The Mandalorian for Disney+. Plus. Um, but this, again, was a show where they didn't think the main actor, Will Ferrell, could sell a movie. And at the time... At the time, he was just an SNL uh, actor. He hadn't had his huge movie break yet. Um, and so this was a risk for them. But if you look back at this film, Elf is one of those that I think both adults like to watch. And even my kids love it. Like, they laugh at all those little jokes um, that Will Ferrell makes. Like, it is ju it's just a great holiday movie. And it's something that, even years later, you just still enjoy. Like, I, I really love watching Elf. 
It's a, a favorite around our house. It's probably my wife's. Uh, I don't know that I would say it's her favorite, but it is definitely in her top five. My kids also enjoy it. And it's Will Ferrell doing great Will Ferrell. He can sometimes be a bit much and he keeps it restrained enough for this role so that it, it doesn't just become the Will Ferrell movie. It's him portraying the character, trying to get home, and uh, it, it works really well. It's hilarious. It's touching. And it's a, a great recent holiday movie that that gets it right. Well, and let's keep in mind, like, Will Ferrell really only has one character that he plays in all his movies, and that's Will Ferrell. Like, <laughs> exactly. I mean, so you have to like Will Ferrell to like his movies because no matter what he's in, Wedding Crashers or, or this or whatever, Will Ferrell is Will Ferrell. And um, this, what I love about this movie is that it has that sort of that sort of heart that you like in holiday movies, but it's really funny, and it's it's funny because he's so out of place. It's it's sending someone who's never been out of the North Pole to New York, and so he sees gum on the side of the street and he's like free gum and he puts it in his mouth and you're like oh my god that's the most disgusting thing ever and he sees like a sign in the in the window at the coffee shop and it's like world's best coffee and he stops and he's like congratulations you have the world's best cup of coffee and everyone in there's like dude what 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 the hell are you doing like (laughs) but i like all of those jokes land they all work because will ferrell sells it but also because Favreau knew what he was doing in this and and really constructed a movie that's that's a great holiday film, but but still is just lots of fun to sit down and watch. The, the genius of John Favreau could be an entire. Well, that will be an entire show at some point. We'll do a whole show on just nothing but John Favreau. Trust me. But it was a he really did, like you said, capture it. And Farrell really sold the innocence necessary to that. It, it's one of those where you have to play it straight. If it seems like you're in on the joke while you're portraying this world's best coffee or free gum, it's not going to land the way it does. But Farrell did a, a tremendous job at selling it. He really did. And that's one of the things that I think really makes that movie work. Um, it's really incredible. Another one of my favorites. Um, another SNL veteran uh, who has uh, uh, who went on to make a great career um, is National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation with Chevy Chase. That movie, you know, I mean, that was a, a movie in the 80s. It is when we were kids. It is still a great movie. In fact, I was um, flipping channels during a uh, commercial timeout in a football game yesterday, and it was on like TNT or TBS or something. And I was like, oh, man, now, now, now I got to watch this movie. Like, <laughs> because it's one of those things that once it's on, it's like, oh, man, you just you, you got to dedicate some time. It's just so funny. It's, it just makes your day better to watch and just just gutturally laugh at everything in that film. It's such a tremendous movie. It's a, a one that we will watch scores of times starting today. We're going to go get a tree later. And that's one of our traditions is we turn on Christmas vacation while you decorate the tree. And the thing that's great about the vacation movies in general is 
they're basically documentaries. I mean, they're hilarious. <laughs> That's but, true. Yeah. <laughs> but these are really obviously extreme iterations of things that we can all relate to. You know, you you love having all your family around, but then in that moment when Chevy Chase when is, says, "Well, I'm going to uh, go go outside and, and park the cars and, and for the season," and it just vanishes outside. And, you know, we can all relate to that moment when it just becomes. It's like okay, I've got to get out of this for a minute. And the the disaster that always strikes, we've all had a tree fall over. Hopefully we haven't uh, incinerated a cat as our tree goes up in flames. <laughs> but, but we've all had those catastrophes. And it's just, Chase is such a, a tremendous actor. Uh, Beverly D'Angelo does a great job. The kids, the, the parents, it's just, it's, that's probably my favorite. Although I, I also... Uh, vacillate between that and a Christmas story, which, you know, that's the fun one to remember as a kid. Uh, being Absolutely. that kid. Also on my list, a Christmas story is just a fantastic film. And it's, it's again, this is one of those movies that was not a success um, when it came out. It, it, when this movie premiered, nobody really ran to the theaters to catch it, but it was one of those movies that uh, found a cult following uh, when it was doing reruns on TV, and then that exploded, and it became a holiday classic. And now um, on TBS every year, they do 24 Hours of a Christmas Story uh, on Christmas Day, where they just run that movie for 24 hours, just just back to back to back to back. And you know what? On that day, I usually watch it two or three times because it's just so good. It has so many wonderful moments. It has... Um, it has it has classic scenes that that you can remember as a kid. That whether that's a, a BB gun, you know, wanting a BB gun or whatever that toy may be, so desperately, and then you get it, and either it breaks or it hurts you or something, and you're like, oh wait a minute, what happened here? Or uh, your relative, your grandmother, or your uh, aunt or something sending you some crazy thing you have to wear in this case it's that hilarious bunny suit thing and it's like it's it's just it is it's such a well done movie it is such a classic um and it's one that i just thoroughly enjoy watching every year at this time i have a pink bunny suit that my kids got for me a couple years ago <laughs> that's fantastic so i've got it so an interesting thing about uh about a, a Christmas story is Gene Smart, the author who wrote that, uh, and this may have caused it uh, some of its initial difficulty. He serialized a lot of those stories in Playboy magazine of all yes, places. Yes, that's that's right. Which is just kind of insane to think of this Christmas classic being in Playboy and and getting its start there. But you know, it's so. it's so interesting because. That's a movie that just everyone identifies with. And it doesn't right, matter uh, like where you are. I think you're going to have to. Who you're talking to. You can something just. Something I said activated Siri and it won't go off. What? And now I can't hear you. Stop. Can you hear me? Hey, can you hear me? Okay, I can hear you now. Okay. Did you hear all that? Yes, I heard you talking, but I, I can work that out. That's Let's see. That's essentially 11 minutes. I'll work on that. Um, okay, let me pick up what I was saying, and I'll do this in post. Um, uh, let's see. But, you know, what's amazing about that movie, Rich, is that it just 
it's something that everyone can relate to. There's always a scene in there that brings back a scene from your childhood and one that I constantly think of. Okay, so when I was a little kid, we lived in Detroit, Michigan, and um, now I live in Texas where we don't really have a lot of winters except for that weird one we had this last year. But um, in Detroit, we had winter every year, and it was brutal. And that scene where they're all standing outside the school daring the kid to lick the flagpole the metal flagpole, which everyone knows is going to end with his tongue getting stuck on that flagpole is just so funny because I remember that from when I was a kid and we'd, we'd sit around at school before school, you know, or, or during recess or whatever. And there's always a flagpole. It's always a giant metal flagpole. And there was always someone daring you to be the idiot that licked that flagpole. And in this movie, it actually happens. Yes. And then another thing I relate to is kids today, they've got it so good. We've made a lot of advancements in the technology surrounding staying warm. So they don't know the pain of layering and layering and layering to try to go out and stay warm for 30 minutes and play in the snow and all your clothes got wet and you would come in and it was a struggle. But, you know, like I said, today, the kids. Kids just don't know what it's like to walk uphill both ways in the snow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, finally, my one of my favorite Christmas movies, I think is one of everybody's favorite Christmas movies. It's an instant classic. Again, another one of these movies that, that was difficult to make. That's Home Alone. Um, this is a movie that uh, is almost a perfect Christmas film. Um, and as a kid who... Um, who loved watching this and loved all the the craziness in this movie, the sort of torture that he gives these thieves trying to break into his house. I, I, I love this movie. It's a movie um, I love to sit down and watch with my kids. And the secret sauce to this movie, the secret sauce that makes this movie work is not necessarily the acting and all that stuff. It's the soundtrack from John Williams, the same John Williams that did Star Wars and E.T. and every Steven Spielberg movie you've you've seen. He really brought this movie together. He really sold it with his soundtrack. And I enjoy the fact that from a kid's perspective, those Rube Goldberg type inventions are so much fun to watch. It's it's like watching a data in Goonies, it's just yes. all these contraptions and things. And it it's just so much fun to see it all come together and knowing that when you were a kid, you had similar ideas and you could never pull them off. But to see this kid actually do it on a grand scale is just a marvelous thing. Well, so and, have- and there's there's so much fun, too, because, like, um, he gets really creative with these, like the uh, the, the door that opens, that turns on the flamethrower that burns his hat and um, the uh, the uh, sticky steps. And then he steps on the, the nails <laughs> and the uh, cord pull that drops the iron on his face. I mean, that we could go on for hours. I, this is just one of those movies that's great. Now, also. Um, Home Alone 2, where he gets lost in New York City, that also works. And and it's kind of interesting because they uh, took the, the same sort of premise of the first one where he gets lo- left home alone and they put him in a city he'd never been to. He stays at um, uh, the plaza. He gets to see the sights. And then all of a sudden he gets stuck in his uh, aunt and uncle's deserted house 
the robbers from the previous movie show up and he gets to do it to him all over again. And you really feel for him that time. Um, I, I just love home alone. Now they have since made a bazillion of these movies. I'm not even sure what number they're on at this point. Um, and my daughter was watching the newest one the other day that I caught a few minutes of, and it's not quite the same, but the, the original home alone to me is just a perfect Christmas classic. And I have to add one more film that I have long enjoyed. Uh, another SNL cast member, or uh, was he on SNL? But anyway, Scrooged with Bill Murray. Yeah, on so, SNL, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I remember being terrified as a child watching the George C. Scott version on television, and I enjoyed it. But Scrooge just it takes that same tale and updates it in a in a fantastic way with Bill. Murray playing just such a terrible, terrible person who's been corrupted by his work and doesn't care about anything and coming to see the true spirit of Christmas. And it's it's just a lot of fun. Great actors throughout the, the movie. And I love that one. You know, we might do a show. This is, this is interesting because bringing up Bill Murray here, you could probably define a Bill Murray movie for every season and every holiday of the year. You totally could. And he's done so much. And, and the way that he's been reinvented through the Wes Anderson movies, Absolutely. It's just, he's just, who would have expected him to become the powerhouse actor across a variety of ranges and genres that he's become? Uh, we have a mutual friend, um, Allison Efferson. And uh, Allison and I used to, <laughs> used to have conversations off air about how um, how perfect Bill Murray is and how there are like there are different phases of Bill Murray's career. And you can have like it's OK to have like a favorite movie per era in his career, because honestly, it's hard to pick like your favorite Bill Murray movie. That That's almost too difficult to task. But if you it, narrow it, just, it down to like parts of his career, that's a little bit easier because you want to throw in like a, a lost in translation there and you want to throw in like Ghostbusters and maybe Scrooge and, and some of these other movies. And, but you know, to pick one out of his whole career, I think is too hard. No, it just depends on the moment. Like what are you in the mood for when you're going to watch a Bill Murray movie? If you'd like to advertise on future episodes of coffee and Koshan, please contact us at coffee and at gmail.com. All right, Rich, I want to talk about uh, something that we touched on in one of our earlier shows. We have talked about bourbon and whiskey. It is that time of year where you get together with your family, and one of the best things you can do is make a good cocktail. This last uh, week was Thanksgiving. I spent it with my family and my brother. I made a, a cocktail for my brother who had just moved into a new home, and it was a, um, a cinnamon maple whiskey sour. 
which was a lot of fun. But one of the best classic cocktails, one that I enjoy on a regular basis, one that you enjoy on a regular basis, is an old-fashioned. And that is just, it, it's it's a perfect cocktail, not only for this time of year, but it's a perfect cocktail to get to know well. So why don't you tell our listeners how to make the perfect old-fashioned? I am going to start by telling people how not to make an old fashioned. <laughs> Just as important. Uh, I worked in the restaurant industry in the, the late 90s, early 2000s, which was the late 90s was when we saw the vodka craze with everybody drinking martinis that were not martinis. And then as we came out of that, people started to look back to these classic cocktails. But these this was before a time when people had computers in their pocket. You couldn't just Google something. And so when the old fashioned started to make a resurgence, it was an abomination. You would take a, a neon maraschino cherry and a sliver of orange and muddle that with some uh, bitters and then throw in your ice and bourbon and then maybe some club soda, maybe some Sprite. Uh, people got creative and I give them props for trying. And again, this was a resurgence. Don't do that. If you, <laughs> if you, if you want to add a cherry, which is not traditional, at least use a Luxardo, but don't muddle it for God's sakes. The only thing you want to muddle in your old fashioned is half teaspoon of sugar with three dashes of bitters and about a teaspoon of water. You want to get that all dissolved, add two ounces of bourbon and then a nice big ice cube, and that's it. Oh, I'm sorry. You do want to throw in a, a twist of orange. You want to get a nice thin twist, not too much of the pith, so that you can get the oils in that orange and twist it and express those and drop those in. I almost forgot that. But the great thing about the old-fashioned is once you've mastered this basic cocktail, and some people will choose to use simple syrup. I realize there are debates over that, but I honestly think if you Pepsi challenged it, as long as you don't use too much simple syrup, you're not going to be able to tell the difference. But the, the old-fashioned is like uh, – I'm going to make an odd comparison here. It's like a, a meatloaf or a pot roast that once you have that basic recipe down, that's when you can start to really experiment and what people don't realize is the old-fashioned doesn't necessarily have to be made with bourbon or rye. You could make it with a nice dark rum. You could maybe get wild and use that bottle of cognac that you keep around for the couple of times a year that you make Julia Child's soup à l'oignon. So you can really do a lot Uh Angostura is the traditional bitter, uh, but you might want to go with an orange bitter, or you can use some Amaro Averna, which is a, a bitter liqueur, and take your old-fashioned in a different direction that way. So while the, the, the original is fantastic, uh, and I was preparing for this show last night, I made an, just the original as I described with a, the sugar, granulated sugar, orange, and uh, bitters, and I used an Old Forester 1910 which was not made in 1910. It's just one of their lines, but it's kind of a, a it's, it's a good bourbon that's got a, a lot of a molasses on the front end. So that lends itself to the sweetness, which is another point to make when you're experimenting with your old fashions, you want to keep in mind the sweetness level of the booze you're using when adding the sugar. Sometimes you might want to cut the sugar down, you know, to just a, a quarter teaspoon or something like that. But the base, once you have the base, that's where you can take off and, and make different drinks. 
Okay, let, let me ask this. You mentioned that you don't necessarily have to use um, a rye or or a bourbon in this. When you when you mentioned dark rum, how would you tweak the recipe if you're doing this with a dark rum? Because that's that's something that's really fascinating to me. So I am a my wife and I got married in Jamaica and I ended up a big fan of Appleton rum as a result of that. So Appleton dark is kind of a sweet rum and rum is naturally sweeter than than whiskey is to begin with. So for that, I would just I, I would add less sugar so that it doesn't end up with being too sweet of a drink because you're not trying to mask the flavor of the liquor so you can chug it. You're trying to enhance what you're putting in that glass so that you can sit back and sip and really enjoy what you've made. So is the, when, when you think about an old fashioned, is this a, a drink that you have when you sit down for uh, a steak dinner? Is it when you have some pasta? What what do you pair with it? I am. I like it before a big meal, like a, a nice big steak. I, I would go with that. Uh, it's something that is it can withstand the flavor of a nice cut of meat, uh, but it's not going to be over. Oh, it's not going to overpower it either. And it's also something you could have as dessert. Uh, and then you do have it as dessert, especially after a nice big steak. An important thing is you want to have a good base when you're drinking these strong cocktails. And a thing about alcohol is that it's oil soluble, which means that if you have some grease in your stomach, some fat in your stomach, some of that alcohol is just going to pass straight through you without being absorbed in your bloodstream because none of us are just trying to get hammered. We're trying to enjoy nice beverages. I knew a guy in college who would drink a the liquid out of a, a can of sardines before he would go out drinking on a Friday night. <laughs> and, and that's definitely one way to do it. But, you know, we're adults now. So if we're going to drink these elevated cocktails, we could do a little better when giving ourselves a proper base. And now, Brad, you've talked to me a couple of times about a bone marrow butter that you make that would be perfect for this. Tell us more. Okay, so uh, like we mentioned earlier, last week was Thanksgiving. We have Christmas coming down the road. Um, one of the things I love to make at this time of year that is perfect for adding um, to mashed potatoes or on turkey or just with your bread course um, is bone marrow butter. And butter is perfect, but a way to make butter better, Rich, is by adding bone marrow. And here's the thing. We think of bone marrow and we think, God, that sounds like so highfalutin. It's bone marrow. It's, you know, it's something you get at a fancy restaurant, yada, yada, yada. But bone marrow is easy to do. And I'll tell you why. All you have to do is roast these bones. And the best way to do that, if you can get them at a grocer, um, I my local grocery store, HEB, which is a fantastic grocery store, um, if you ask them, they will give you bones. But if you can't do that, if you can't get your grocer to give you bones from uh, the meat counter, what you can do is you can go to a local butcher and they sell these uh, in packs. And what you can do is you can get them in either uh, sticks, which are uh, the, the bone that is that is whole but sort of cut into manageable chunks, or you can get them in canoes, which is where they're, they're cut long way and you sort of see it uh, opened like a... Uh, like like a like a hot dog, uh, sort of split open down down the middle, and um, 
that's the easiest way to cook them. And what you do is you get a hot oven, 425. Um, you cook these bones on a double layer, and I'm saying double layer, of um, of tin foil in your uh, oven, 425. For depends depending upon the size of the bones, exactly what kind of bones you're getting. Um, 20 mish, 20 to 30 ish minutes. Um, what you're looking for though is you're looking for that bone marrow in the middle to change color, and you're looking for importantly this what I what I what I always uh, tell my kids is the golden goodness to leak out of those bones, and uh, that's the stuff you really want because what you're gonna do after these come out. You're going to pour out all that um, uh, golden goodness that has leaked from the bones into a bowl. Then you're going to wait for the bone marrow to cool down a little bit so you can handle it. Uh, you're going to scoop it out of the bones, put it into a bowl. Um, then you're going to get a, uh, a mixing bowl, a big mixing bowl that you can put on a stand mixer or if you have a, one of those hand uh, mixers, th those work as well. Um, get uh, four or five... Um, uh, containers of butter, uh, you know, it's big, big sticks and get quality butter here. Get the, the good European butter that you can get at the grocery store and um, get those, put those in the mixing bowl with the bone marrow and whip them together. Put, put some, put some good air in the butter and that helps uh, mix up all the bone marrow anyway. And what you're doing, uh, you, add, you can add a little salt if it's not salted butter. What you're doing is you're making the perfect butter. And what this butter do does is it gives you, instead of just the great flavor you get from butter, you're also getting th that sort of uh, umami flavor you get from uh, bone marrow. And you're infusing it in everything you use that butter in. So, for instance, if you're uh, one of my favorite ways to use this, my children love when I make whole roasted chicken. It's one of their favorite things that I do. And I do them several ways. Sometimes I'll spatchcock it, sometimes I'll do uh, beer can chicken. Uh, sometimes I'll just roast it on top of vegetables, but they love this. I, I make, I make roasted chicken at least once a week, uh, when my kids are around. And one of the ways I love to use bone marrow butter is I take it and I rub it in both, uh, under the skin and over the skin on that bird. And then you're not only, uh, making that bird more juicy, but you're just infusing it with the perfect flavor of bone marrow. And you're giving yourself, like you mentioned earlier, a nice good coating in your stomach to deal with that wonderful cocktail, that old fashioned or that really great glass of red wine that you've been saving for the perfect occasion. And, and bone marrow gives you that. Plus it just gives you this great flavor. It's funny. We think of it as this really highfalutin food, but it's not, it's a real basic food. It's a food that our ancestors were eating literally in caves, Rich. They, they realized if we kill these big animals, we roast the bones, we eat the marrow, we're getting all these nutrients from the animals we wouldn't get otherwise. And it, it it's literally a, a food that helped us go from cave dwellers to tech lords. Um, you know, and it, it sounds, it sounds kind of crazy to say that, but it's really true. This is a food that it's a superfood, but it's super tasty. And if you can work it into something as simple as butter, then everything you put it on becomes fantastic.
So how long will this keep once you make it? Or is that not an issue because it just gets eaten that quickly? It's not an issue because I promise it'll be gone. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. What you can do is you can um, you can make it in these bowls. You can you put it in a, a you know a plastic bowl or whatever. Um, you can uh, put half of it in the freezer for later and half of it in your fridge. But I promise you, this you use it in everything. Once you have it, you're like, oh, well, this will be really good on, on uh, my toast in the morning. Or, uh, oh, you know, that, that would be really good on uh, some veggies. I will tell you one, oh, one great way to use this. Uh, one, one other way my kids really like it is I will do steamed asparagus. And when I'm steaming the asparagus, I'll throw in just a little pat of this bone marrow butter. And it just adds something to that, to those veggies that you don't get otherwise. Because it's good to, it's good to always put some butter on something like that anyway. But when, you, when it has that extra oomph to the flavor that bone marrow butter provides, it just, it makes it so much better. I, I'm salivating thinking about it. I, have, <laughs> I, I am too, I and have, I just ate breakfast. <laughs> the only way I've had bone marrow is a, a friend had it in his restaurant, and he just tries to use every part of the animal, so he came out with the bone marrow appetizer that was literally a roasted canoe yep. a bone with some toast points. And it was just one of those things that got scarfed down. And so now I'm imagining adding in the flavor of good butter. Like it just, I would love to have it on a steak. I like butter on my steak. And it's I would perfect love on a steak. A it's, yes. Steak. It's perfect <sighs> on a steak. And actually one, one way, another way I like to use this, I could do a whole show on a million ways to use this. Uh, another way I like to use this if I am doing a long cook, a sous vide cook on something, I love to add just a little bit of bone marrow butter to the bag when it's cooking. Um, it doesn't work if you're doing like an hour cook on something. But if you're doing a, a long cook, uh, like a 36-hour cook, 24-hour cook, or longer on something, um, for instance, I do um, some short ribs that take three days in the sous vide. If you put a little bit of bone marrow butter in there, um, by the time you take it out, those short ribs taste more like short ribs. They don't take taste like bone marrow butter short ribs. They just take more taste more like short ribs because they've had that bone marrow soaking in them for soaking with them for three days. Um, that's something that that is just perfect. I actually um, <laughs> a friend and I like to experiment with um, uh, doing uh, briskets, and uh, one way we found is that. You can sous vide a brisket before you smoke a brisket. And that keeps more juice of the brisket in when it smokes. And you actually have to smoke it for uh, less time. And one time I did one of these experimental briskets, I sous vide it with bone marrow butter, and it just made it all that much better. This has been another great show of Coffee and Co. Sean. If you like this show, listen to it on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Spotify. You can find the nice website that Rich helped us build at uh, coffeeandcoshawn.com. If you would like to advertise on this show, please shoot us an email at coffeeandcoshawn at gmail.com. Rich, thanks again. Appreciate it. Fantastic as always, Brad. Mm -hmm.